Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi everybody and welcome back to another episode of Wild Wild Podcast. Uh, as usual, I've completely forgotten what number we're on. I think we're on episode <laughs> so we're on episode six now of this season. Um this would be episode number six, yeah. yes. And uh, as you can hear, I've got with me the busiest, most hardworking man in podcasting, Rod Palmer. Oh man. How are you, Rod? I am doing pretty well. I am. Uh, I've got my mug of hot tea, my uh, my desire for revenge, and <laughs> and uh, and I am I am ready to roll. That's what you need with these films. Um, I just finished listening to your episode that you did with Troy Howarth on um, the Phantom of the Opera, the, the Gentos Phantom of the Opera, and I have to admit I've never seen that one, and. Um, well, I, as you may have heard, I don't know that I can recommend it. No. Well, I'm certainly intrigued. I mean, I would like to eventually see all of his films. I think that once you get past the Stendhal syndrome, they become harder to get hold of decent copies. I did, especially his kind of 2000s films. A lot of them are not really available on English friendly blu-rays or at least not over here that's changing yeah i was about to say that's changing a little over here mm. uh in recent in the past couple of years um sleepless the card player yeah, phantom so of the opera i've never seen those either uh, yeah they, they've uh i do actually recommend uh i do actually recommend sleepless mm. uh as a bit of a return to form it's a film that i thoroughly enjoyed from the moment i saw it uh, but those have been released uh, here in the states on Blu-ray in the past okay. couple of years. Yeah, I need to track those down. Yeah, um, yeah as as has uh, Trauma, strangely enough, yes, from the early nineties. I got that. So, yeah. I, I got that in the um, the Black Friday Vinegar Syndrome thing, and I thought Trauma was mm-hmm. really good. I enjoyed Trauma a lot. Um, I am curious about Dracula 3D, and as far as I can tell, that hasn't uh. had a decent Blu-ray release yet. But we can live in hope. It came out, I forget what format I saw it on. It may have just been a DVD, but uh, honestly, it's probably best projected, uh, you know, from eight, in, in eight millimeter on a, <laughs> on a, on a poorly painted uh, wall. It'd be good if in they, a dunge, in a dungeon. If they, if they provided uh, like red and blue 3D glasses with it, that would be fun. It's, yeah, I, you're on your own with that yeah. one, man. Sorry. Hey, I, I, you know, one day. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm thinking about Argento a lot at the moment because obviously I'm counting down the days now to when I get to go and see the Argento exhibition in in Turin. And half the people I follow on Twitter seem to have been there already, so they're just making me jealous. Oh well, uh, I am curious. Have, I, I'm I'm kind of excited to see Dark Dark Sunglasses, his his most recent, the thing that's just come out. But yeah, me too. I'm gonna um, I'll pick up a copy while I'm in Italy, and then I'll uh, I'll let you know what i think of it maybe you know obviously at some point we will end up having to do some argento films on here 
Um, maybe we should do the ones that are the more recent ones that people don't talk about so much. Just, well, that would be um, that would be a lot of fun because yeah. they don't uh, they don't get a lot of coverage. Yeah. yeah. Just last week, I did an introduction to a screening of Deep Red at a cinema in Hastings, which was very fun. Hmm. Um, my, pers my personal favorite of his films. Yeah, and I, I was focusing on Daria Nicolodi uh, in my introduction, and then I. Um, I always put together a sort of trailer reel and old adverts and stuff. So I had some Dario Nicolodi trailers before the film as well, including Paganini Horror and mm -hmm. uh, and The Black Cat, which got a bit of a laugh from, <laughs> from the audience. <laughs> I, I may um, be one of the few people on the planet who actually want a really good release of that film on Blu-ray. Yeah, which one? The Black Cat? Yeah. Oh, the um, I mean the the Severin Blu-ray is, pro is probably as good as it's ever going to get. I, I oh, wait think. a minute! You're right. I oh yeah, my yeah. goodness, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's pretty funny, but yeah. Anyway, let's get away from those guys for a minute and get to our, where we're supposed to be this week. So we're talking about well, a film with many titles, as Rod is going to explain <laughs> in a moment. Um, but yes, we are here to talk about Guy Ritchie's revolver. Sorry, I mean <laughs> Sergio Salima's revolver, aka Blood in the Streets, aka well, what what else have you got? Well, uh, there was an alternate title. Uh, well, there there are two that I find amusing. In the name of love. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. And you know, for don't get me wrong, the motivating factor is you know a man's love for his wife in this film, but hardly would i use that title to describe this film and uh the other that i found a little odd was the german title which actually isn't bad but it still doesn't really fit the film which translates to the perfect blackmail um mm. not a not a bad choice but you know perfect is not the word i would use you bl you're blackmailing a man whose you know level of frustration, anger, and violence is 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 probably not going to do you well before you can control him. So yeah, that is yeah, that's an interesting one. Would you have ever named this film in the name of love? I mean, well, it's uh, I mean, I think that would be very confusing for the audience to to turn up expecting presumably some kind of a love film, and then. <laughs> it's well, yeah, not. it's like uh, so. Were they thinking because Oliver Reed, you know? One of his more impre you know, one of his more well-known films at the time was *Women in Love*. That he's like, "Let's throw love in the title and see if that sticks." You know. Mm. Yeah, it's that's a bit of a weird one. Well, yeah. So we know it as *Revolver*, and it's certainly been it's just been released on Blu-ray in the UK under the name *Revolver*. Um, that I watched it. So the one I watched, it was dubbed into English. It was on Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. And it felt really weird because in the English dub, Oliver Reed has been dubbed with a different voice. So it's not his voice. Oh, and well, that's not the English dub that uh, we got over here. He dubbed his it? own voice. Really? Well, is he, he, kind, of, yeah, he on, kind of adopted? Uh, he is kind he of putting adopted on an American a... accent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So, so that is him. It just didn't sound like him. It sounded like somebody different. And I was confused because Oliver Reed's got such a distinctive voice. Well, he uh, there are mo there are moments in the dialogue. I, I counted about a dozen where it's like, oh, he's that's that is distinctly that is, yeah. Oliver Reed's voice. Fair so enough, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's interesting that um, he still got an Italian name. So he is uh, what's his name, Vito Cipriani, mm -hmm. and um, <laughs> but yeah, but everyone's speaking English. But and I think it made would have made perhaps made more sense in the Italian uh, dub to to True. still be called Vito Cipriani. But he's clearly, yeah, I mean, he's clearly speaking English in terms mm -hmm. of when he was on the set. He's doing all his lines in English. But anyway, we're getting slightly ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> so um, why don't we start with, well, let's start with the cast and the director, and then we'll get into the plot. So Oliver Reed, what a great guy, Oliver Reed. Well, I mean, he was an absolute asshole in many ways. But in terms of on screen, <laughs> totally great. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's one of the, he's one of the great... British actors of I would say the 60s and 70s he was amazing yeah so many good films um, and, he, and obviously he did this wasn't his only I think this wasn't his only film in Italy no um, he, he, he made a few other uh, well it, I guess it kind of depends on how you 
that how you think about it, you know, um, mm. he kind of jumped back and forth mm. um, from, you know, from project to project, whether it would be, you know, in one place or another, you know, he'd make a Hollywood film and then he'd make British films and then something on the continent. I mean, there, yeah. you know, uh, there's some movies I'm not even sure how you would, uh, oh, you'd have to like dig into the, how they were, how they were produced to see exactly where, where they would shake out as far as, uh, you know, what they really were. I mean, kind of like, like the hunting party in 1971 was shot in Spain, but I think it was an American production, you know, right. things like okay. that. And then he's and, in a and, film with Marcello Mastriani, uh, yeah. in, in the same year as this movie, I think, mm-hmm. um, called Mordi e Fugi, uh, or dirty weekend in English. So I guess he'd just go where the work was, but he was clearly, you know, immensely um, popular. That he would, like you said, he'd just appear in in all sorts of things, where, wherever he and he'd go pretty much wherever he was wanted. I think once he became a star, it was obviously obviously, you know, in his early days he was doing all the sort of Hammer films and little bit parts in various films, mm-hmm. and it was Hammer that sort of turned him into a recognizable star and then he got into sort of British doing really important and really interesting British films and um, and and obviously but as we know I'm assuming as we know Oliver Reed was also quite the drinker and quite the um, raconteur in in pubs he would you know hold court and he would drink and he would fight and he would arm wrestle Uh, that scar that is very prominent on his face in this film came yeah. from a fight in a pub i think he got glassed yeah it uh famously um he got attacked for you know being being a smart ass and you know a drunken smart ass in a, in a pub and yeah. he got cut with a broken glass and required something yeah. like 60 60 stitches yeah and, uh, and i read somewhere you know he thought that was it his career was over but he just it wasn't because he just got cast as a hard man <laughs> quite a lot yep i mean certainly in this film it totally fits his character that he would have a big scar on his face. Oh, I know he's like a an ex ex police detective, and yeah. now he's the warden of a prison. It's like, yeah, yeah. he looks exactly like that. He right? looks the part. So there was a book a few years ago, about ten years ago, called Hellraisers uh, by Robert Sellers, and he wrote this book about um, Richard Burton, Richard Harris, Peter O'Toole, and and Oliver Reed. And it was basically just lots of stories about them drinking and. Mm getting into all kinds of scrapes but the book is written in such a way that you're supposed to think oh these guys they were hilarious but i honestly got like two chapters in and i had to stop reading it because it was just making me think all of these guys were just horrible people that you would never have wanted to spend any time with uh, especially if you were a woman they were just (laughs) awful but he's writing about them like you know great but if they were well the kind of from the, the perspective of, things... of a college from the perspective of a college age you know 20 something yeah i'm sure it's an impressive yeah. thing to think about and to go yeah 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 and if you can if you can absorb those stories with that thought process in mind and realize mm-hmm. that these the, yeah. these are these are people who are living out you know juvenile excesses to yeah. to you know well into the, the the well into their their years where they should not be Maybe you can have some fun with that, but yeah, as I get older, I I, I was just having a, a conversation about this last night with some friends about yeah, I don't uh, I don't I don't envy the young anymore. Those types of things, those types yeah. of um, adventures, I guess would be no. the best term to use. Yeah, just uh, they were just really difficult and quite unpleasant people a lot of the time that you wouldn't really want to spend any time with at all. Um, yeah. And they would mostly be arrested and in jail these days, I think. But anyway, <laughs> but yeah, Oliver Reed is fantastic in this film. But another big star who is the sort of co-star uh, or co-lead in the film is Fabio Testi. And I'm surprised that we are more than a year into the podcast. And I think this is the first film we've done that Fabio Testi is in. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's, which which is kind of strange. Uh, yeah. When I first, the first film I ever saw him in, and this just goes to, uh, you know, late '90s, early 2000s, either the bootleg market or probably those early DVDs when this stuff started to come out. It's mm. Probably, 
the big racket. Right. Yeah. And his um, the thing the thing you and I've talked about this before. The thing about Fabio Testi is you take one look at him if your first encounter with him is is whatever film it may be, and you're just like, okay, so he's he's a gorgeous man. So clearly mm-hmm. he has no he has no acting talent. This guy's gonna be a <laughs> he's gonna be a plank on screen. Mm-hmm. And then strangely enough, no, he he's is great. not. He actually yeah. is very good, which is a, a, I have yeah. to admit a shock, and it makes me want to hate him, but he's too likable. I know, and he's still working. He's still going. Oh, I know. Uh, and he still quite... looks amazing. How the hell yeah. does that happen? <laughs> he's he's in his eighties now, but he's uh, still got stuff on his IMDb page in pre-production and things announced. And uh, he was in a film called Curse of the Blind Dead just a couple of years ago, which is intriguing. And if well, it's, uh... Uh, not from what I've heard. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, it's intriguing he... that he's in it. Don't get me yeah. wrong. But... Is that something that might end up on the Nashi cast at some point? Um. Not if as a get, full episode from what I'm told. I mean, who knows? If you get des- yeah, if you get desperate. Is well, it a re- if, is or it a if spa- we decide to descend into uh, Mystery Science Theater style, yeah. from, what I've, from what I've read, I can't say anything I haven't seen. Is it so. like an Italian remake of the Blind Dead series or something? It is essentially a kind of... Um, yeah, it's 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 kind of an an addendum done by uh, some people here in the past few years. So mm, it's pre, you know purporting to be kind of like the idea of a fifth blind dead film but uh, i've not heard let's just say that i have not rushed out to seek it out from word of mouth being (laughs) roughly 99 percent negative so yeah so do you have a favorite fabio testi film i mean if we lost focusing on his Um, 70s 70s movies i am that's a good question i really think that uh, what what have you done to solange is is an amazing contribution to the to the genre to the genres um, Gang War in Naples is amazing. This film is incredible. I mm-hmm. if I had to if I had to choose, strangely enough, I'd probably go with Four of the Apocalypse, the Lucio Fulci spaghetti western. That's oh, kind yeah, of strange. Okay. Uh, I really do like that. But that same year, he made uh, a film that uh, maybe you kind of have to be me to to love to death, which is uh, a film called Red Coats. Um, oh, okay. uh, it's a it's an Ita- it's an Italian uh, it's an Italian Canadian Mountie film where he's the oh, lead. Okay, well that I can see already why you've picked that one. Yeah, when... yeah, I have my weaknesses, and that one, that one, like that one, so beautifully curves into like three or four different things that I love. That it's yeah. like I say, I'm not saying everybody's going to love it like I do. Yeah, when you said the same year as Four of the Apocalypse, I assumed you were going to talk about Go Gorilla. <laughs> no, I've not seen that. Who knows? That could be that could be a that could be a I mean, favorite that I have. That not looks seen like it's also a kind of Poliziotesky film, but um <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so Fabio Testi uh, is just yeah had a pretty solid career for fifty years without stopping, it would seem. Mm-hmm. All the way through. Um working again, like many of the directors we've talked about over the time, just working in whatever genres are where the work is at the moment you know so they just go go wherever they're required he's almost like an italian john saxon <laughs> yeah that'd be a good way to put it <laughs> um and i mean is there anyone else that you want to mention from revolver before we dig into it well i mean briefly we probably ought to mention uh, uh augustina belly who plays uh, oh, yes. Reed's character's wife yeah uh, she's really interesting i don't think i'd seen her in anything before but she's very distinctive well i've seen her in i've seen her in a number of things but it's one of those it's one of those situations where i have to be reminded uh of her being in those particular films because she's i mean don't get me wrong she's she's very she's she's quite good in everything i've seen her in i mean like Mm. uh, okay uh scream of the demon lover which is a, a goth an italian gothic the fifth chord uh, Night of the Devils from oh, seventy two. Okay. Yeah, she was in that uh, Richard Burton fronted Bluebeard in seventy two. Oh, right. um, you know, she was at. Believe me, she was in a lot of movies. She was in the original, uh, you know, uh, Italian Scent of a Woman in seventy four. I mean, you know, there's she was in a lot of movies. Um, the one that I honestly I can picture her face and actually remember her and clearly is uh, the film known as uh, Holocaust two thousand. The uh, Kirk Douglas starring oh, film yes. Yes. from uh, 77, which yeah. I, I'm utterly fascinated with. 
but I remember, I definitely remember her from that. But uh, strangely enough, I, as many films as I've seen her in, she she kind of uh, she kind of slips away when I start thinking about actresses who you know who I admire from this period of time. She's she's always very good in everything I've seen her in, mm. but I I don't know what that I don't know what that says about either me or her. It's very odd. Yeah, and she's very good in this film, although she's effectively just i mean she's it's not a great part she's basically there to be the the victim who's yeah. just the, the cause of uh oliver reed's rampage but with she does really well with what she's got that that final which i don't think we'll talk about i don't want to give any spoilers oh, she's, away, she really sells the yeah, final scene that yeah. final the freeze scene frame yeah is really really impressive yeah. yeah and last of all i guess sergio salima He's ah. uh, he's quite an interesting guy. Only um, actually, only just passed away a few years ago. Quite a mm-hmm. long list of credits as a writer and as a director. He wrote a lot of Peplum films early in his career. Um, which is which is really, I think, what he probably be best known at, known for in his mm. in his in his native country. Simply because, don't get me wrong. Let's remember Sergio Salima as a director made some truly impressive films if you're the man who made the big gun down face to face run man run and violent city uh just those four films alone in my opinion put you in the hall of fame you are astonishing you have made Mm. some wonderful movies and you you can sit down and be proud Mm. Uh, but then you also have the film we're talking about today revolver which i think is an incredible movie and I got to be honest. I finally I, I went down the rabbit hole, and I've got to I've got to see his '76 uh, TV miniseries Sandokan, uh, which oh, I hear right. nothing but good things about the six okay. the six episode adaptation of that uh, those uh, I think it's just one of the novels. Okay. Uh, so he's back, kind of returning know. to his peplum days with that. Presumably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what's wild is apparently the the, the Sandokan character they they the series the 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 miniseries was such a success. The next year, the same cast and Salima did a a feature film that was a success, a Sandokan film called The Tiger Is Still Alive, which he you know he wrote and and uh, uh, directed, and mm-hmm. then believe it or not, <laughs> in nineteen ninety eight. The guy who played the main character and Salima returned to another TV series to play the character again. Oh, right. And it's like one of those things where it's like, okay, this is clearly a rabbit hole I've got to eventually go down. <laughs> this just seems too good. I've seen the the uh, Umberto Lindsay Sandokan film mm. from uh, the 60s, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. But it's it's one of those things where it's like you really it's just one of those things that you're blind to, which is this strange thread of this you know this character's stories being ad- adapted over the course of decades. And it's just like okay, okay, okay. Now I, I I have to see these things. I'm so fascinated. Mm-hmm. I must see them. So. Oh right, yeah. That's this is the problem, isn't it? You find one thing that leads you to another thing, and then before you know it, <laughs> you're drowning. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and uh, Italian genre cinema does allow for a lot of rabbit holes to uh, to go down but anyway let's get stuck in with the plot then on this film i'm using um roberto curti's book again just to but again but, uh, what i loved about revolver is i genuinely didn't know where it was going to go and so if you've never seen this film before i don't want to spoil too much of it so i think we'll just we'll lay the groundwork with the plot and then leave it for people to find out from themselves, especially because it's a film that's very easily available now with with it yeah. being on Amazon Prime and with the Blu-ray and everything, but well, I should I should correct you really quickly. This is something I discovered. Um, it's it's available on Amazon Prime where you are, but not in the states. Oh, sorry about that. So, uh, to, sadly, uh, I had to re- I had to resort to my uh, now twenty year old uh, oh. blue underground DVD to, to to watch this. Not that that's okay. a problem, but it's just. Uh, I did actually expect it to be easier to see these days here in the mm-hmm. States, and sadly it is not. Uh, well, there's a very nice new Blu-ray out uh, from Eureka that comes with English and Italian, uh, audio commentary by Kim Newman, mm-hmm. uh, Stephen Thrower is on there, there's an interview with Fabio Testi, uh, there's a booklet, all that sort of stuff. Uh, but anyway, so whichever version you had available... It's still good, I guess. <laughs> so this uh, description, I already, I'm slightly confused. So anyway, let's read it and then I'll tell you what confused me here. 
So okay. he says, small time thief Milo Ruiz, which is, of course, Fabio Testi, uh, escapes from prison with a friend who's badly wounded and dies soon after. And that no. scene... That's incorrect. Well, okay, yeah. So you tell me why you think it's incorrect, and then I'll... Well, okay, the movie starts... We, we One of the things that it makes this film as good as it is, is it drops you into things. And the way the film begins is with Fabio Testi and his friend uh, leaving the scene of their most recent uh, robbery attempt. Exactly. That's what I thought. He's not escaping yeah. from prison. They, his fr- they just, they just pulled some kind of bank job and his friend got shot by the security guard. Right. I mean, yeah. this is very clear in the movie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that's what I thought. So again, sometimes you wonder, I know Roberto Curti had to watch a lot of films to make this book. So, you could forgive him, I, I think, perhaps for getting some of the details slightly incorrect. But it's a great scene where they they eventually they drive a car and they end up by a river. And then when his friend dies, he sort of buries him uh, by the river and it sort of covers yeah. him with stones and leaves him there. And it's so a very touching. It's a touching scene, which yeah. is odd in a film of this type because. Mm. He his friend does his friend doesn't want to be put in the morgue. He he, no. he, requ- he he begs him, please, you know, don't don't let them do that to me. Yeah, and so he painstakingly while weeping, Fabio Testi really, yeah. really opening this film up, showing his showing that he is going to be bringing the full emotional range. Buries yeah. him beside the river. Yeah, yeah, he's really good. Um, so I think that's the pre-credit sequence, and then we get the credits, and then meanwhile in Paris, because this is a French-Italian co-production, mm-hmm. so it's we're sort of split between Italy and uh, and Paris. I think we are in. Are we in Turin again? I think we were in Turin again, weren't we? I've I forgot. Our, I think you may be right. I've forgotten where we were. Oh no, Milan. Sorry, I knew is it was it? North, northern Italy. Yeah, so we're in. We're split between Paris and Milan. Oh, with okay. This film. Um, so meanwhile in Paris a politician is killed by a man who's riding a motorcycle um, and that scene just seems a bit random and it's not until like halfway through the film we understand why that's relevant mm-hmm. um, and that's one of the things that I really I mean, like I say you know, once you once we get to the end of the film yeah, you, you know how together. these you know how the pre-credit sequence is connected to this assassination it's, it's yeah. amazing yeah so uh, meanwhile meanwhile we get this great sequence where the camera is we we cut to somebody's apartment and we just see this woman's feet on standing on on the man's feet as he's walking along a corridor mm-hmm. and you see items of clothing dropping to the ground <laughs> as they're, as they're walking along which i was watching that thinking i don't know if you could get all that those clothes off while still clinging on and not fall off i was quite impressed anyway at their agility However, they would. However well, she's they leaving her. That. She's leaving her socks on. So. Yeah, yeah. So we eventually find out that this is uh, Vito and Anna Cipriani, newlyweds. I think we're supposed to believe they're quite newly married. I think. Fair, oh, I, I, I don't know. I don't oh, remember exactly. No. I didn't really get a sense. I just know that they're definitely very happily married. I mean, so. she's about. She looks about twenty years younger than him. Which I suppose is no unusual thing in movies. Well, yeah, but at the same time, Oliver Reed. <laughs> past a certain point looked 10 years older than he was that's true i mean she in real life she's about 26 here and i think he's in his mid-30s so he's at least yeah he's at least 10 years older yeah um and they're all very happy and in love um but then meanwhile uh he gets a call from work and he has to go to work to sort out a problem and it turns out that he's a prison governor I'm I'm going off the description here because I'm filling in some of the details. He's a prison governor, and there's a prisoner in the uh, medical facility who's gone crazy and is threatening to to slit his wrists. And they've called Vito in to sort him out, which of course is just a ruse to get him away from home, right? Like this is no. I assumed that this guy was in on it. I don't know. Maybe it's just a coincidence. Well, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that uh, they would the, 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 these people would have picked the just the most you know advantageous moment. It doesn't yeah, really matter maybe, when yeah. he's when he's away. It's just going to happen the next time he's yeah, at work. Yeah, he comes home to discover that his beautiful wife Anna has been kidnapped, and to get her back, he must arrange for Milo to escape from prison. And uh, this whole brilliant sequence where 
eventually he does give in and he he sort of agrees that he's going to do this um after going to meet milo and yeah he gets him into this room and he beats him up and then says okay you're going to go to the infirmary i'm going to get you i'm going to allow for you to escape well i love the fact that he does exactly what you would think he would do which he's this is an enraged man who knows that if if he makes the wrong move these people could kill his wife so he gets this criminal he's supposed to somehow arrange to escape from the prison into a room beats the hell out of him and goes who in the hell wants you out of prison bad enough to do this to me yeah and and milo has no idea what the hell he's talking about seriously has no clue no no information to give no reason for anybody to want him out of prison at all ever (laughs) he has no clue he's got really like barely any friends it seems yeah certainly not that would have this kind of power um so yeah so then what's really interesting is we go through this very elaborate escape sequence from prison and uh he gets out and as soon as he gets out Vito is there with his car and a gun and gets Milo to get in and then they basically become uh reluctant partners because mm. Milo genuinely doesn't know what's going on and who wants him out or why uh whereas Vito is convinced that he does and Vito has a friend. He takes Milo back to his apartment. Then meanwhile, a friend from the prison, who's another um, prison guard, I think was a former maybe partner of him or worked with him when they were both police. He turns up uh, because he, he he's figured out that Vito was involved in the escape. Yeah. Um, but he when Vito tells him what's happened, he's all in. He's going to help him to to figure out what's going on. So now there's kind of three of them involved in trying to get his wife back um and i don't want to give much more away except to say that it also involves they go to paris at one point yeah where they find out the wife is in paris and they end up teaming up with a there's a pop star called al nico mm-hmm. who is introduced a, early in the film in the first yeah. day of the film he's introduced he's and brought had, it and once again this is another element this is like a, the third element yeah, in the movie that and we don't know why yeah it doesn't seem to fit you don't understand exactly why this is it but he's being he's brought in by the cops to identify a man who the cops think was well they've identified the motorcycle that this guy was riding when he when he uh wrecked and was killed by being hit by a train right and they think and this this is the motorcycle this is they think this is the guy who shot the uh the government official the yeah. assassination that we so saw this is right where we start to yeah we start to realize there's some kind of potential conspiracy going on here around mm-hmm. the death of the politician it was it's really interesting that we're in 1973 here we're in this period of turmoil in italy the years of lead where politicians were genuinely under threat of death uh, and did yeah, they'd be killed and end up in you know, yeah. the trunks of cars for God's yeah. sake and so I think it's interesting with this film that it's actually a Parisian assassination this is all happening in Paris not in Italy but of course I guess for Italian audiences it doesn't matter whether it's Paris or Italy they know <laughs> they know where is really being uh, what's really being referred to well that's one of the interesting things about the kind of the, the, the kind of uh, I won't even call it subtext it's really kind of just text yeah it's just a part of the story being told which is this this uh these socio-political connections between france and italy being kind of pulled like kind of being tugged together yeah this film pointing toward you know the kind of bleed over of the violence that's going on in italy you know like pushing into other countries and this being an you know an example of that what you know Mm. regardless of how you know accurate to the times it may have been i mean i'm sure there were things of this type going on but it's it's uh shall we say without giving too much away that you know this this cross-border uh criminal plot is is exactly the kind of thing that you know you can easily imagine going on in europe so it's mm-hmm. really interesting that the movie as as fascinating it as it is as a as a, as a character piece is this two-hander between reed and testy as they uh they go through their they're put through their paces trying to you know solve this problem and figure this thing out so that they can get his you know they can save his wife's life the underlying mystery the thing that they end up solving along the way or should we say shall we say figuring out is 
a, a much larger thing. One comes close to calling it a, a, a conspiracy. Yeah, as you said earlier. So and yeah, and it's interesting the sort of connections between the the criminal world, the the political world, the pop world as well. Mm-hmm. Like this guy Al Nico is some kind of former criminal himself, I think, or he's certainly got friends who are criminals, including. Fabio Testi's character he's an old friend of his in the first place well what's um, weird is I got and I don't know if this was intended with the Al Nico character the, the pop star character I got kind of this weird feeling at a certain point and I don't know like I said I don't know if it was intended or not but it does feel like um, the kind of uh, the kind of mob connections the kind of friendliness with mm. uh, the underworld that uh, was very famously part of Frank Sinatra's career. Oh, right. Yeah. Where it, you know, no one ever accused Frank Sinatra of being, you know, part of part of the mafia, no. but Not he definitely face. cozied up to those people, you know. Yeah. And it, this is what this kind of feels like, where you know, at a certain at, at a certain point, depending on you know the circumstances of your rise to to uh, fame, there there. There are, uh, shall we say, uh, things that you do along the way to kind of grease your path to the top yeah. that uh, might might be facilitated by people who are not exactly uh, uh, legit operators. Yeah, because can, can, can I put that more obliquely? But you get yeah. my idea, right? Al Al Nico's position as this great French pop star, effectively, he's only where he is because they've got him there not because necessarily is just his own talent he seems uh-huh. to be a sort of front for for something but yeah so um so we've got all that going on there's another sequence before they get to paris i forgot because once the word gets out to the police that clearly uh veto has helped um a man to uh, to escape uh what was his name again milo um yeah. So they're both wanted by the police now. And so they have to escape. They have to cross the border between Paris and France, partly on foot. And they, they meet this woman up in the Alps who's who's basically spends all her time just helping people cross the border illegally. And there's, I thought that was quite funny. You, you wouldn't have thought that the border was that closely guarded. It was like, um, you know, it was like watching a film about Mexico and America's border there's like police on skis there's police helicopters just up there in the mountains well yeah whether or not that was accurate to the times Um, or not it does give the it does give the impression of uh maybe maybe the french uh the french feeling that you know those people in italy are lunatics so we need to kind of we need to kind of keep them on that side of the mountains like i've driven from between france and italy and like it's pretty easy so i don't don't know there's there's a lot of roads and there's a lot of mountains but they they make it seem like it's this big thing which i thought i quite enjoyed that bit um but yeah i don't know i don't want to go much further basically they just they just discover that there is this conspiracy at work the film that it reminded me of obviously salima's back catalogue is the big gun down i think there are similarities here because in the big gun down you've got the the lawman who has to track down this mexican guy who's accused of a horrible crime mm-hmm. but then they end up sort of teaming up together because they discover that actually there's a bigger conspiracy at work and that the real crime was committed by um the people who were in power yeah and that's kind of what's going on here that you've got two people on opposite sides of the law who have to team up because um, there's a conspiracy. It's it's a theme that Sergio Salima seemed to to return to uh, again and again in certain films because there's some there's some similar stuff in uh, well there's some stuff that he seems to have kind of taken from his earlier film Face to Face as well, which mm. is the, the the idea of there being these and it's it's distinct in that movie straight from the title, which is you have these two characters who are kind of opposing. Uh, the plot has them in opposition, but over the course of the story, there's this weird transfer of character traits between the two of them that um, kind of you know blends their personalities together in a weird way. So that uh, after a certain point in the movie, the uh, your your allegiance 
you know, such as it may be, kind of switches a little bit where you have a little bit, you know, where you have a little more sympathy for the character who at the beginning of the story you might not have and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so he's playing a little bit of that here too because Fabio Testi's character, he's, he's, he admits he's just a, he's just a petty thief. He's, he's not a murderer. He can, there's a point at which he can get out of this entire situation by simply killing Oliver Reed. He's got yeah, a gun on he's him. He's got the gun he, on him. He's intending to take him out to this place and kill him and and realizes he can't do it. And that's the point at which he's like, okay, look, I will throw in with you. We will figure this out together. Yeah. I'm not a murderer. I can't do that. I I can't do that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm, he, a petty, I'm a petty thief. I'm a car thief. I'm a robber. That's he's all He's a I nice am. guy. He's a nice guy and that he wants to help. And he becomes more and more round to the idea of doing the right thing. Right. And really then what we have with, uh, with Reed's character is a man who is an incredibly upstanding member of society. This is a, this is a guy who is on the side of law and order. And as the story goes on, he's pushed further and further into a corner until he finally does mm. start doing things out of, at, at times, absolute necessity for his own life. But overall, the things that he chooses to do, you know, are because he cannot and will not give up on rescuing his wife he will yeah. do whatever it takes and it becomes clearer and clearer that it that those those strict lines between you know what's legal and isn't are just getting erased for him and he doesn't care anymore mm. yeah and um the uh, there's a book actually called blood in the streets which is named after this film uh by um by a British academic called Austin Fisher, who also wrote. Oh, we, we we by the way, we forgot to mention that as an alternate title. Um, Blood in the Streets. Yeah, yeah. Well, Blood in the Streets. I think we did because this is yes. a movie that apparently, and this is depressing. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you, but this no, movie no. did not do well on release oh. for 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 various reasons. It got uh, the the release of it got pushed back from. They'd done all the advertising for it to come for it to come out. I think in March, and then something happened, and the film didn't come out for like six months. Oh, right. uh, after the fact and so when it finally got released uh, it like nobody even knew the film was out and so it sank like a stone and mm. so then it got re-released a, a, a couple years later and they retitled it Blood in the Streets oh I see okay to kind of you know try to fool the public into thinking this is this is a, yeah. this is a different movie which is and presumably so, because of the assassination right I would imagine that's I would assume so. Yeah. That's where that comes from. So this book um, by Austin Fisher, he wrote a really good book as well a couple of years earlier, before this one, I mean, about spaghetti westerns. But anyway, he he puts Revolver in as a, he talks about it as the as a vigilante film, and there's a whole thread running through the Polizioteschi of vigilante-style films. And I was thinking mm-hmm. at first, he's not really a vigilante as such in this film, but I can sort of see where he's coming from, because... He's he's having to go against everything that he previously believed, like you said, to to yeah. rescue his wife. Um, he is having of, to step completely outside yeah, the law. Oh, I mean, you know. he crosses a lot of lines. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, because um, Austin Fisher also he he, put, he mentions this film alongside a few different westerns that that follow similar things, including including of course the Big Gun Down, and um, he says the. He talks about these films often have a determined but ultimately futile attempt to uncover the intricate machinations connecting organized crime to corporate capital or branches of government. And I think that's sort of where we are with this one, that this this is a kind of conspiracy Poliziotesky film. That there's yeah. a big there's a bigger world of problems outside of just the two main characters that suddenly neither of them have got anything to do. What's so sad, I guess, about the whole thing is neither of them have got anything to do with this like it's not their fault that they no. find themselves in the middle of this thing that is but, a strain of the, uh, the this type of film these italian crime films that there aren't there aren't a lot of examples of it because in general the you know they're they're sticking to the 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 obvious stuff the the, char- mm-hmm. the you know the characters and and the crimes and the violence and the action and the you know the all the exploitable elements they're not digging any deeper beneath the surface to uh kind of provide any anything different than than, than that but there are a strain of these like this movie mm-hmm. where you get a a a a sense of the creators of the film the writers the director di- definitely wanting to use these stories 
to point to underlying causes. You know, they mm-hmm. want they want to bring this up as a as a way to comment on the society around them, and to say that you know we can we can wallow in the the exploitative joy of you know seeing an escapist bit of entertainment that involves all this stuff. But at the same time, we need to be aware that this is a reflection of what's going on around us, and what's going on around us just grinds people up. The, mm-hmm. These people have, as you said, you, you put it very well, there's no reason for these people to be involved in what they're being involved in, except mm-hmm. that this larger grinding thing has to chew them up to get things done. Yeah. And it's it's kind of awful. There's a lot of really... First of all, there's some, uh, and of course I'm going off the English dialogue, but I'm assuming that these are are pretty decent uh, representations of you know the the original yeah. Italian. But there is a moment in the movie where well, there's more than a few, but the one that stood out for me and the one that I just I I flashed on rewatching this movie for the first time in years and thought, my God, that is such a that's like a statement of purpose for this film. Uh, there's this line where a character, and I, like I say, I won't give away the circumstances, but a character says. Society has many ways of defending itself hmm. with oh, red yes. tape. Yeah, yes. he says with red tape, prison bars, and the revolver. And the revolver, yeah. And that is the you know that both that is like the the statement of purpose for this film, which is mm-hmm. we're going to demonstrate to you with you know those three subjects, those three things, how all three of them destroy. The yeah. people within this society. Yeah, that a dead politician in the street is just another form of accounting. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's really pretty bleak. Um, it's it's bleak as hell. It's harsh. <laughs> it's miserable. Yeah. But there's but the film is. I mean, there are there are you know bright little moments. There are little moments that aren't. Oh yeah. You know, that that because and they're almost all around uh, Fabio Testi's character, who is you know to be blunt. A, Way, way more of a of a good natured person than you would think someone in his position would be, yeah. but he is. That just seems to be his character, and that comes out in in ways that are are that kind of endear him as it's, as the story goes on. Absolutely. And it's it's such a. For, well, first of all, I mean, did did I don't know when you first saw this movie. Oh, this time I've never seen this. Is before. this is when you okay? Yeah, yeah. Did, were you a little shocked at how few action set pieces there are in the movie? Well, I was going to say there is there's some there's a couple of shootouts, but yeah, this is not your big action packed car cr- car crashing, um, Poliziotesky movie. It's much yeah. more kind of tense and about the characters than it is about uh-huh. big action set pieces. There are there is there's one really kind of amazing action set piece. Hmm. But the rest of the time, it's character stuff. It's yes. it's dialogue heavy. It's, People talking it's, in rooms. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, uh, it's I, I you don't miss it. I had to have it pointed out to me hmm. that this film is not you know because if you watch something like The Big Racket, mm-hmm. you know there, there's there's so many action sequences in that movie. You just might as well you know pop the popcorn and 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 you know kick kick on a, a foreign language you don't even you don't even understand and still yeah. kind of just get the juice flow juices Absolutely. flowing watching all the action on screen but with this one you've got you know you, i'm not saying you've got to pay attention but it's like this movie is way more uh w- way more cerebral than than you would think you've got to be paying attention to what's going on because this is strangely enough you're watching the slow, mysterious unraveling of a, a conspiracy and these people who don't even know they're involved in one. Yeah. You know, the only mystery that that uh, that Oliver Reed's character is aware of is why in the name of God did the somebody expose themselves in such a, a, a massive way by, by kidnapping a warden's wife mm-hmm. to get this petty mm-hmm. thief out. Uh, I mean, and he becomes he becomes convinced pretty quickly that, that Fabio Testi's character has no clue. Yeah, he believes him pretty quickly, and he realizes he doesn't. Yeah, know. I mean, there's because believe me, there comes a there becomes a couple of different points early on in the film where it's like this guy would have given up, whatever it is. Yeah. This this is what this is about. This is why, yeah. and he hasn't got a clue. And it's mm. and it's 
this slow unraveling of this mystery is the is kind is the driving force it's not the action or the possibility of action in the story that is the driving force it is that mystery it's like why the hell is this going on and it's very satisfying to feel those those kind of tumblers click into place in the final third of the movie. And you're mm-hmm. like, Oh, that thing you forgot about. Think of, you know, this is, that's what yeah. this was, you know, that's it. Yeah. Cause for ages, you're like, what did that have to do with anything? And then you have to wait and go, Oh no, no. One thing I forgot to mention, we have a returning actor from our previous film. Oh, um, wait a minute. from Savage three. We talked about this guy in Savage three, Sal Borghese, who oh, was yeah. the, uh, who was the guard who was doing the, um, identikit picture. And he was really in funny. the previous film, yeah, yeah, in Savage Three. Well, he was the suicidal prisoner, according to the IMDb. Anyway, he well, was, I did, I did not recognize him no, because he's he's sweaty and he, his hair is like I don't out think he's got the and... mustache as well. I think I think he had a mustache in the uh, the other <laughs> in the previous film. That's yeah. true. <laughs> but this film actually, because we've jumped back in time slightly, we're back in 1973 now, whereas I think we were in 76 the last time. But um, so maybe he just hadn't grown the tash yet. But there he is, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, there you go. So we could talk about this film a lot. One thing we haven't mentioned that I did want to bring up before we finish is the score. Oh, uh, yes. Ennio Morricone. This is a pretty impressive score, don't you think? Mm-hmm. And there one was, that I've, I've I felt him... Uh, he, he, he returns in a few of his scores throughout the 70s to similar, mm-hmm. very similar-sounding themes. Well, I was going to say, similar-sounding... Every time I heard, so I'm going to play, I'm going to bring in some music here. So I'll just play you some of the music from Revolver. pretty good isn't it that's oh, great stuff but it reminds me a lot of the the score that he did for a french action film with jean-paul bon, jean-paul Belmondo from around the same time too oh which one uh yeah it's the belt it's the uh, jean-paul Belmondo film from 75 called the night caller well at least that's the english title i think oh, I, yeah, I think okay. i saw it as a bootleg under a different mm-hmm. title years and years ago but oh, okay. morcone did the score for that uh and it's it's uh extraordinarily at times extraordinarily similar to pieces well, of the music one that i that kept hearing every time the same music came up in revolver it just made me think of this from the untouchables yes it's it's like by the time Ennio Morricone got to the mid-80s, he figured, no one's going to remember Revolver. I'm just going <laughs> to recycle that for this bit. So every time that music comes on in Revolver, I'm just picturing Al Capone and Kevin Costner in my head. <laughs> but I guess there's quite a lot of that, isn't there? I mean, it's the same with, as I've talked before, about certain Italian composers recycling stuff. And you hear things over and over and over again, like Stelvio Cipriani using very well, similar things you can't produce you can't produce as much music as <laughs> Morricone produced over the decades without you know I mean yeah whether, whether he was conscious of it or not the first few times he did it I mean you can't get to a point where you're producing you know 350 scores or more or four maybe even 400 yeah. and you know you're not you know at a certain point recycling something because mainly mainly i just don't i I just don't think that anybody is creative enough to get that that much output out there in the world to to not you know have your brain return to certain themes again and again and again Mm -hmm. i mean it's you know we we were talking earlier about how sergio salima seems to be uh either returning to or cannibalizing Mm -hmm. certain ideas from uh, uh, two of his earlier spaghetti westerns from the 60s Mm -hmm. To kind of uh, build the story 
that he wants, or the characters at least within this within uh, Revolver here. And it's, it's the same with any creative person. It's like there are yeah. themes and ideas that they like to play with, and that they feel fit certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so when those situations arrive in another piece of fiction, it's like you're going to kind of feel your brain turning toward those again. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at somebody like Elio Petri or something like that. Like, you know, just, they're very interested in recurring and should be re- revisiting over and over again the similar sort of themes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's completely understandable. Uh, so hey, everybody, if you haven't seen this film, it's really worth checking out. I think we've probably said that with everyone so far. I think we've all these have all been bangers, but this one is especially good. Um, yeah, and definitely worth your time. Um, and just yeah, what can what else can I say? Uh, so I think we'll <laughs> we'll probably leave it there. Rod, anything you want to plug? before we finish that you've got coming oh up. my goodness i know you um, always, you always ask your guests that so i'll ask you uh okay well i'll let me let me let me stress let me let me see here uh as far as uh oh well that's a good idea i thought about this um the uh very next episode of the bloody pit uh will be out soon and it involves me actually sitting down and having a conversation with uh writer paul talbot about a particular charles bronson film the mechanic from this very same period of time Mm. uh and uh actually uh neither of us can contain ourselves and we end up talking about probably 20 different charles bronson films over the course of the conversation yes Uh, understandable well i mean yeah i start out by just saying okay look my three favorite 70s bronson films are very i mean my three favorite bronson films are the mechanic violent city and uh uh hard times it's like (laughs) It's like, so you need to know where I'm starting from. So, uh, but okay. so that, that conversation will come out soon. Cool. Um, and just uh, hopefully, so this episode's going to come out at some point very soon. But well, obviously, if you're listening to this, that means it's already out. But um, short, <laughs> coming shortly before our next Polizioteschi episode, I've got a bonus episode that I have already recorded with um, the managing director of a new Blu-ray company called Malombra Films. So um, I talked to them about their plans. They've got their first film currently on a Kickstarter that they want to put out. It's a 1968 Italian thriller. Um, So I thought I would uh, have a chat with them about what they're doing. And they've got all kinds of plans. They've got a Mario Barber Western on the roster. Uh, and a few other things that they're working on restorations at the moment so that's going to be a bonus episode coming I'm just waiting for some some things for them to get sorted out and then I'm going to stick that up as well so hopefully that'll be interesting to, just cool, to see cool. what what's coming soon from uh, from them as well but anyway thank you everybody for listening uh, thank you Rod as ever uh, next time we do this we should be talking about a film called Young, Violent and Dangerous, which uh, is what I think they put on my report card at school. So <laughs> that'll be an interesting one to, uh, to get to. Uh, yes, yes, of course. That, that, that certainly explains your, your poor marks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not... Uh, shouldn't we shouldn't have, don't want to bring up such tragic memories. Anyway, okay. So thank you, Rod, and thank you, everybody, for listening. We will be back soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. 
Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.